Welcome to the Be Consumed podcast with Pastor West Church, where we encourage you to be consumed by the truth of God's Word. Join us in chronologically reading through the Bible this year by visiting consumed.life. This past weekend, I got a call from one of my favorite deacons at First Baptist Church about our Bible reading plan. And um, I should probably not mention his name since I didn't ask permission. I'll just say his name begins with J and ends in Act by Catherine. So if you know, you know. But anyways, he called and he said, um, Brother Wes, this is Mr. Jack. He said, I wanted to, um, you to know I, I finally figured out what you mean when you say we're going to read the Bible chronologically. He said, I didn't get it until all of a sudden we skipped from Genesis to Job. Now I figured out what you mean. Now, I imagine he's not the only person who was caught off guard whenever we missed Exodus, Leviticus, and everything else and just landed in Job. But of course, as we're reading chronologically, that means we're attempting to read the Bible in the context of the story of how how it all unfolded and when it all unfolded. Now, there's not a perfect date for the events of the book of Job, but based on most of the context clues from the text, It makes sense to place the story of Job during the era of the patriarchs, which is to say during the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And a couple reasons that scholars date Job to the time of Genesis is because in the book of Job, there is no reference to the law or a sanctuary. There's no reference to organized uh, religious practice of any sort that we would imagine within the context of the Mosaic law and the Levitical practices. Also, like the Um, patriarchs, Job serves as the family priest. He makes the sacrifice for his family on an altar, just like Noah or Abraham, the other patriarchs would do. So um, now he does live outside the promised land. He is from us, which is outside the promised land. And so many of the uh, people that question whether this was written during the era of Genesis would point to that and say, no, the reason he doesn't refer to the Mosaic law or Levitical activities is because he's outside the promised land. But I tend to believe those who say this was written during the era of Genesis, and yes, it was outside the um, promised land, but it was also written prior to the Mosaic Law. So that's why in our Bible reading plan consumed, we're skipping from Genesis to Job. Next week, we are uh, going to read a couple of Psalms, and then we will come back uh, to what's the way that our Bible's laid out, and we'll be in the book of Exodus, and then we'll keep tracking forward. But before we jump into Job, I want to just talk a little bit about what we just wrapped up in our reading, and that's the book of Genesis. Now, just to get your bearings, I want to mention that today is Wednesday, January 24th, and you should be on week four, day three, in the consumed reading plan. And that's uh, Job chapters 10, 11, 12, and 13. Now, I know that some of you might be hearing that and thinking, I'm way far behind. I am weeks behind. And I don't want you to feel the need when I say that. Uh, to say, I better just go ahead and give up. I, I, and I don't even want you to feel the need to say, okay, I got to make up before, you know, tomorrow. I, I just want you to read today's reading. Just just pick up where we are today. And then tomorrow, you pick up with tomorrow's reading. D- don't feel the need to go back and read what you missed. You might be able to do that at some point, but you don't have to do that right now. You just read today's assigned chapters. If you have time later, go back and make it up. If you never make it up, guess what? That's okay. You can catch those chapters next year or some other time in the future. We're going to be really gracious to ourselves as we read the consumed reading plan because the goal is not just checking boxes. It's not just finishing the reading plan and saying, look, I got nothing missing. The goal is to consume and be consumed by the word of God. So no condemnation here. You just start fresh today. So here we are, week four. That means we've completed our study of the book of Genesis And what I kept thinking while I was reading and studying through Genesis 
is I can't wait till I can carve out some time to where I can spend a longer period of time preaching through the book of Genesis. I mean, it's just, of course, wonderful narrative, but there's also this foundational text here for really understanding who we are, where we come from, what went wrong, and how do we fix it. If you want to understand the story of the world, if you want to understand yourself and your surroundings, I believe you've got to, I believe you've got to begin with this book. And I don't just mean that from the perspective of being a Christian. I mean for all people everywhere at all times, if you want to know about the world, if you want to understand what's happening around us, start with this book. Now, we live in a period where there's a lot of confusion, and I find that the scriptures provide clarity where we most need it. Now, I imagine some of you are thinking, you must have been reading something different from me because I found some pretty confusing passages in the book of Genesis, and I know that's true. And there are some places where it's like, I got questions here. But the plain message of the book is the main message of the book. And, and, and that, that's the same thing to be said for the whole of scriptures. The plain thing is the main thing. So don't, don't get distracted or um, all focused on things that are secondary or tertiary. You just focus on the main message of the book. And the main message here, in summary, is that there's an all-wise, all-powerful, loving God who formed everything perfect in the beginning. He made man, the crown of his creation, perfect and capable of fellowship with God and able to enjoy and govern Eden. But all of creation was wrecked at one moment when man fell into sin. And that shattered the relationship that man had with itself, but also the relationship between man and God. Since the very first sin in Eden, wickedness and sin has spread and increased to cover every corner of creation. It was so overwhelming, God judged the world and by deciding to send a flood to destroy the world, but not even that worldwide flood could wash away the sin. So what would God do? How would he fix it? In Genesis 12, we see the beginning of that unfolding of his plan, God's plan to restore and redeem his creation. It's initiated, that plan for redemption is initiated as God calls Abram to establish a nation and people. And the rest of Genesis, and really the rest of the Old Testament, is the unfolding of this process of restoration and redemption until the fullness of time when Jesus himself appears and redemption is accomplished there in the gospel narratives. So all the drama, all the twists, all the turns of the narrative, um, it's amazing how you can see it all pointing towards a God who's in control. In fact, I found Joseph, who we read about at the end of Genesis, I believe he kind of offered the clearest explanation of how God is working to keep his promises. You'll recall Joseph reveals his identity to his brothers there in Egypt. They had sold him into slavery. He says, it's me. He's risen to this place of responsibility. That's why they've come to Egypt is because uh, they need food and he's the one who's able to distribute it. And it's there that he tells them who he is. And he says to them in Genesis chapter 45, verses five through eight to his brothers, and now Don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me here because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life for the famine has been in the land these two years and there will be five more years without plowing or harvesting. God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh. Lord of his entire household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Joseph says God is superintending over the affairs of man to accomplish his purpose. 
So we're not a victim to circumstances here. God is in control. And when we only look at ourselves and how the circumstances of our lives affect us, we're probably overlooking a grander story of what God is doing in and through us to advance his kingdom in his way. This is a great place for us to transition from Genesis into our study of the book of Job, because Job is experiencing circumstances not unlike what Joseph experienced. He loses health, wealth, family, and everything else besides his life. He might as well have been all alone in an Egyptian dungeon, because he has found the bottom of the barrel. In fact, in chapter 3, we find that Job begins to feel sorry for himself. He calls out to God in lament. He says, why did I not die at birth? I mean, Job is in a place of such depression that he wishes he would have never been born. And we understand that by reading the narrative. Reading Job can be tough because it's a dark book. The circumstances surrounding Job and his life are depressing. But if we're honest, life can be depressing. I mean, there's a whole lot of pain and evil in this world around us. So perhaps the book of Job is the most honest book of the Old Testament because it shows just how hard life can be. There's some other passages of Scripture that do that. I mean, the laments that we find in the Psalms. In fact, Christian philosopher Calvin Seerveld says the laments give voice to trust in God in the face of overwhelming evil. They give voice to trust in God in the face of overwhelming evil. What we learn from Job is that we don't always get answers to the questions we ask God regarding our suffering. But if we are willing to lean into Him and not run away from the Lord, then we'll likely get a deeper relationship with him that's born out of all that pain and suffering. That's what Job got. He got a closer walk with the Lord following all of those terrible circumstances. The truth is, explanations don't get you very far. In fact, Warren Wearsby has said, and I have quoted him very frequently, for saying God's people don't live on explanations, they live on promises. True faith is living by promises. It's not living by explanations. If you get explanation, you might get a little smarter. But when you lean into the promises of God, your faith will increase. Now, I have to admit, I found the uh, first five chapters of Job to be um, more refreshing than I thought it would be on Monday. Um, And and that's not what I expected. I, I think I know what I need most of the time, spiritually speaking. But God often uses unexpected places in the scriptures to get my attention and strengthen me in ways that I um, was not anticipating. Several of the verses in the reading on Monday stood out to me. In fact, even old negative Eliphaz was useful for encouraging my soul. Clearly, Eliphaz is wrong in his assessment of Job's circumstances in chapters uh, 4 and 5. He is convinced God is judging Job because Job has sinned. He says it is uh, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble that harvest trouble. And he says that's the only reason you should be harvesting trouble right now is because you sowed it somewhere along the way. But Job, and so he's kind of saying, Job, Job, unless you've done something pretty um, wicked, this wouldn't have happened. So you need to repent. And in his little speech to Job, Eliphaz says in chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, see how happy is the person whom God corrects. So do not reject the discipline of the Almighty, for he wounds, but he also bandages. He strikes, but his hand also heals. Now, Eliphaz is wrong in his assessment of Job. But his statement here is still true. God wounds, but he also bandages. He strikes, but his hands also heal. And God wants to bandage your heart. He wants to heal your soul. Now, his disposition towards sin is to judge. 
but he came to seek and save the lost. He came to rescue those that were perishing. Now, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God judged them in a very harsh way. But he also laid the groundwork for restoration and redemption in that promise that he gave while he's judging the serpent. He says, the seed of the woman will come and crush the head of the serpent. So in announcing judgment, he also whispered hope there, right? He banished the couple from um, Eden, but he also clothed them before he sent them out of the garden because he, he's gonna hand's going to strike, but his hands also heal. Friends, we have good news to tell today. God strikes at sin, but his hand also heals sinners. Let me make a few brief comments about reading the book of Job. A lot of people turn to the book of Job when they find themselves suffering because they say, I want to I want to be strengthened uh, by the text, you know, uh, I want to be able to deal with my own set of circumstances. And, and they're left unsatisfied. And that's a lot of reason is because they think they're going to find answers for suffering in the book of Job. And they think that the book of Job is really about Job and that he's going to be the model on how to respond to times of suffering. But I want to remind you, the book of Job is primarily a book about God. It's not a book about Job. It's primarily a book about God's wisdom, not Job's wisdom. So it's a book about trusting God even when it doesn't make sense. More than giving us reasons for suffering, what we find in the book of Job is reasons for righteousness. The other thing about Job is it's a book of wisdom. It's not the same type of narrative that we find in Genesis. So you get the narrative, first couple chapters, you get it at the end of the book, but it's primarily this poetic dialogue, this discourse between Job, his friends, and God, these speeches that are made. But Job is seeking wisdom for dealing with his suffering, and what he discovers is the only wise one is God. And so that's kind of the climax of the book when God speaks. So the reality about our lives is that we will all face disaster. Many people hide from God when they find themselves in bad circumstances, or they turn away from him because they blame him. Job helps us navigate thinking well about God. When disaster strikes. One of the things that we are encouraging uh, you to do as you go through the Consume Bible Reading Plan is not just read the words on the page, but think about what the text says and then put it into practice. And the model that we've suggested to use is um, the HEAR method. H-E-A-R, highlight, explain, apply, respond. I wanted to share one of my entries from yesterday's, or excuse me, from Monday's reading to see if maybe it might stir up some of your thinking with regards to the using the here method in the consume plan. So I wrote Monday in Job 3.17, we read, There the wicked cease to make trouble, and there the weary find rest. And then explain. These words are included in the text in order to describe the place that Job would prefer to be. He says this during the middle of his lament about his life and what has become. He has already said he wishes he would have never been born, and his comment here is that if he were not on earth, he would be there with God where the wicked cease to make trouble and where the weary find rest and then apply. There's an old gospel song based off this verse that immediately popped in my mind as I was reading these words. It says, the wicked shall cease their troubling. I'm not going to keep singing, but the weary shall be at rest. All of the saints of the ages, they're going to sit at his feet and be blessed. As I hum that song, I was reminded that I'm headed toward an ultimate destination, and that place is with the Lord. There, with the Lord, evil will be eliminated. The sin that so easily entangles will be banished. Trouble will merely be a memory. Heartaches here on earth are just pathways along the trail of life that ultimately will lead me to my final home, where trouble 
and wickedness is a thing of the past. Sometimes I want to throw in the towel because of how frustrating my circumstances can be. I want to give up because I feel so beat down. I just want to sit down rather than keep fighting the good fight and putting effort into kingdom advance. But heaven is not that far away. And it's there that the weary will get rest and the saints will be blessed. For now, I've just got to keep going. And response was just a prayer. Lord, let me run the race that you've marked out for me as I keep my eyes on you, the author and perfecter of my faith, who for the joy set before you endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. I'm so glad you're joining me on this journey through the scriptures. I hope you continue to consume and be consumed by the truth of God's word. This coming Sunday, we'll consider suffering and the sight of God from Job 19. I hope you'll join me for Bible study and worship at Columbia's First Baptist Church each Sunday. In the meantime, read, think about, and put into practice the truth of God's Word. Thank you for listening to the Be Consumed podcast, a ministry of First Baptist Church, Columbia, South Carolina. For more information and to join us in reading through the Bible this year, please visit us at consumed.life.